Hello, George Fox family and friends. I am Show Baraka, and today we will be talking about what is wrong with this generation? Who do they think they are? Hello, George Fox family and friends. I am Show Baraka, doctor of rhythms and rhymes and linguist and laureate, but it's not about me. It's about who I'm with. And I am here with Dr. Carolyn Ellis of the Graduate School of Psychology. Mm-hmm. It is wonderful to have you. Our conversation before this was amazing. So if it's anything like the conversation we had outside, this I is going to be a so. great interview. I have big shoes to fill. My own <laughs> shoes, but apparently I have big shoes to fill. <laughs> well, I, I think it's going to be easy for you to do that. First of all, uh, I learned that you grew up around wildlife rehabilitation. Yes. So how did wildlife rehabilitation catalyze you into like love the love of the human psyche and just caring for people? You know, it, it's funny because you, you don't realize the influence of things of your your life and childhood until they kind of come to fruition. But very little has had as much of an influence on my understanding of psychology and the human psyche as my work with animals. Mm. And especially with with my mother is um, was with the Wildlife Rehabilitation Council and she still works at the Audubon Hospital. Like, you know, she's in her 70s and she's still killing it. Yeah. Um, but there's something about about taking um, an animal from its natural environment that is incredibly vulnerable, that does not understand the world around it, mm. and trying to cultivate safety, but while also maintaining the integrity of its environment, mm. and also recognizing that everything that you are going to give to this animal, it is going to take and leave with. It's not really going to give you anything back. It doesn't owe you anything. Gotcha. Like yeah. we, My mother used to say that it's almost like we're restoring the balance because humans do do a lot of damage to the environment just in, in our existence. Mm-hmm. And so there's something about restoring the balance about kind of giving back. But but you take an animal and you try to maintain the integrity of its culture and its environment. You try and care for it in a way that cultivates as much safety as possible because it can be very stressful. For, yeah. It can be stressful for us to be in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know why we're there. Yeah. Um, but then also once you are done with all of the love, all of the care, all of the sleepless nights and everything that you've done, you release them back to the wild. And the, the gift was them going back to live their life. They owe you nothing yeah. and they won't come back and say thank you. And that's okay. And that's and so there, there's parallels to psychology, right? Yeah. That people come to me and my job isn't to be the dominant expert and to, you know, go in and restore and, and their lives. It's to be in relationship with them and care about them and maintain the integrity of their culture and cultivate as much safety as possible so that they can eventually come to terms with the fact that they never needed me in the first place mm. and that they have everything that they need. And then they go back into the world yeah. and my job is done. So you made this beautiful parallel between wildlife psychology, but I'm, I'm also hearing great parallel with the gospel. Mm-hmm. How could you help me like unpack that a little bit in the sense that you're taking people and they're trying to make sense of a world that's chaotic. Yes. Right. And then you release them back in the world to be productive. Yes. Um, like, Yes. And knowing that the world is chaotic, knowing knowing what they're entering back into, like I cannot fix the world, but I can help to be in relationship with them in a way that's restorative that empowers them to live in the world a more effective way. And that was Jesus. Right. I I mean, not that Jesus wasn't perfectly capable of fixing the world, but that wasn't the point, Mm -hmm. right? Like his kingdom was to be on earth as it is in heaven. Like our job is to engage in the restorative work of representing Jesus in the world to be healing and restorative. That's that's part of our work in this life, in this short period of time that we're encapsulated on this earth. And Jesus modeled 
that in being in relationship and always being compassionate and again being present for you and healing and it's funny too because we all know that like jesus i i go running to jesus mm. like abba father right full scale like hurdle into his arms every time <laughs> something goes wrong yeah. but when things are okay i'm like hi dad i'm cool leave it like i got this right and he has peace with that because he's have his great love for us absolutely and so and so there's there's a truth to that too that jesus can hold the context of this chaotic world that we're in and and know that in his relationship with him he's empowering us to continue to live in it even though it's fallen and broken well let me let me to continue this thread of questions oftentimes we don't see the need of even therapy when we're doing well so in a sense it's like when you release them into the world and they're in a healthy place they're like, all right, you know, thank yeah. you, Carolyn. Uh-huh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I'll when things are chaotic, when we understand our limitations, then we retreat back to the help and the need. Yes. Um, I, why is that okay? But then also, why is it good for us to, even in the good times, even in in feast, yes. that we need to still seek good counsel and healthy psychology. Absolutely. And and it's interesting because again, in the good times when we seek counsel, like, so in psychology we have, have you ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Mm -hmm. Right. But again, it's like base physical needs and there's a lot of truth to it. And I know you talked to one of my colleagues, um, Stephanie, and Mm -hmm. she's just amazing. But you know, the idea is that you can't go up to somebody who literally doesn't have food and shelter and be like, let's talk about meaning in your life. And they're like, I'm hungry. Right. Right? I had a supervisor once told me, be careful that you never go up to a hungry person and say, don't worry, you'll eat someday. Well, that's basically Jesus' principles. If somebody has a need, you give them. them. And so, but, but as you climb the ladder, as you sustain needs, as you learn to integrate into your environment as you learn to cultivate health and wellness you continue to actually go up the pyramid to meaning making mm-hmm. right who am i what am i what is my purpose what is my calling and that's where we need jesus the most yeah. is actually in times of threat i mean again not that jesus isn't the the great physician and the great responder to right, all of right. our needs but when my life is at its peak, that is when my calling is most actualized. And yeah. that is when I need his direction yeah. the most Absolutely. to move forward. And how do I heal, be a healing and restorative presence in the world when I am myself healed and restored? Yeah. yeah. I oftentimes think about when we hear sermons around calling and purpose, I think it's quite elitist because a lot of people are called to just <laughs> and just to survive the Yes, moments. my current calling is having a, a door that locks <laughs> exactly. and a roof over my head. Exactly. Like, can like, anybody help me with that? Exactly. It's just, I am trying to provide for my family right yes, now. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I will get there. My calling is not to yell at my kids tonight because exactly. I am really frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> Let's pray over all the parents who want to choke their kids out. Yeah, right no, now. it's true. It's you know true. It's okay. You are not alone. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you, we talked about uh, trying to make sense of this world. Uh, Generation Z, there's an overwhelming amount of data about how they are the most depressed generation right um what do you how can you speak to like that data what's happening with this particular generation and how can we possibly reverse engineer absolutely and and i want to open with the preface that hl menken is an american journalist and, and i love he has a famous quote and that's for every complex problem there's one solution that's clear simple and wrong <laughs> and so there is there's i you know I, again it's like absolutely. is there any one reason no yeah, but in, in, and I've been talking to a lot of colleagues about this and a lot of, um, of people that I've worked with in the fields of mental health and the fields of hospitals. My husband is, uh, works in EMS and fire and he's a chief and 
I think two kind of common factors have really come up and it's something our faculty have taught about. And, and the first is this is a generation that has a lot of multifaceted trauma. Like historically we thought of trauma as like major seminal events, mm -hmm. right? So if you, if you talk in psychology, what we call a criterion A stressor, like it's mm -hmm. the seminal event that kind of fractures your concept of the world. Like <gasps> people aren't safe, you right. know, oh, my parents aren't safe, you right. know, the, these major seminal events. And, and, and we have a framework of PTSD, like, oh, you were in a major car accident. Oh, you were assaulted. Like, that yeah. makes sense. But the current Generation Z, and some of it's just the exponential curve of technology and the world that we live in, they're more informed than we've ever been. Absolutely. So they know about all the trauma going on in the world, right? And then also they they have been subject to such a recurrence of seminal events. You know, right. we had talked about like, you know, every generation has their seminal event. Like, you know, my mother will tell you exactly where she was standing and what she was wearing when she found out Kennedy was shot. Right. Yeah. And this generation, Kennedy shot every other day. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. It's something new every, and there's no, there's no recoil time to reinvent an identity. Right. They just kind of move on from trauma to trauma and it just compounds. And also if I can just compound that with, it's not only that the, the um, like a MLK is shot every day. It's also that they feel the need to have to resolve like the problems that caused that MLK. Yes. They got shot every day. Yes. And right. this is something that I, I had the summer of podcasts and that I'm learning too is a unique part of the story of many people of color mm -hmm. is that not only are you obligated to grow yourself up in this world yeah. and make something of yourself, but you're obligated to also restore the environment exactly. for all other people. Yeah. And and not everyone feels that burden. Right. right. And so, but so Gen Z feels that like I have to make my life better, but I have to make, also make it better for all of Gen yeah. Z. But at the same time, they have been very, and I don't know kind of the cultural aegis for this, but somewhere along the way we taught them that deconstruction is the goal. Mm -hmm. And and I'm all for deconstruction. If you've right. ever renovated your kitchen, you, yeah. you gotta demo it before right. you reno it, right. right? You gotta get rid of the old before you make the new. And and there are constructs we have to deconstruct, absolutely. right? Like absolutely. And you look at American history of women voting, right? right? Like you have to break it down and build up something new. And we've empowered our generation to have the most prolific access to breaking things down. And boy, can they break down an argument, break an idea. Oh my gosh, they can deconstruct <laughs> anything. It is amazing. There's nothing that this generation cannot deconstruct to its fundamental parts. But we taught them that that was the goal and they stopped there. Yeah. So they have this sense of, I can break anything down, but I have no power to build it back up. Yeah. And so we have a generation that has been empowered to deconstruct, but has no sense of agency to reconstruct, no sense of agency to build. So they say to you, I am a victim of the wars. I am a victim of inflation. I am a victim of all of these things. I have no control. I'll never be able to buy a house. Mm. I'll never be able to, education is getting too expensive. And you hear these kind of foregone conclusions of all, and I'm not saying that there isn't truth to that. Like inflation mm -hmm. is out of control and houses are really expensive yeah, right um but so you have this like they can break it down they don't know how to build it up yeah. and then on top of that we somewhere along the way our culture decided that comfort 
was an important value. And I'm not saying that comfort isn't important. It is the road of it? least resistance. Right. Like, I, like I, comfort is real. It's, it, you know, and, and again, mm-hmm. that's one of the, the thing that Jesus never withholds is comfort. Mm-hmm. When you seek out God, I, so uh, the pastor at one of the churches I attended many years ago, Beaverton Foursquare, um, Ron used to say, um, there are three, an- like God has three answers to questions. Yes, not yet. And I love you way too much to do that. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And so like, there are times when we seek out God for an yeah. answer and we are waiting on it and God does not quote unquote deliver on what we think was right. Yeah. But there is never a time when I have cried out where I have not received the comfort of the Lord being present with me. Yeah. So comfort is real and comfort is valuable. And I, and I don't want to dismiss the value of comfort, but at the same time, that comfort is not meant to foster complacency. Yes. And growth requires effort. If you, I talked to a Vinter years ago, actually in Italy, and there's a grape called a Lagrain. I'm probably mispronouncing it, mm-hmm. but he says that they actually will plant them sometimes in the side of hills because they have to grow out and then reach up for the sun. And he talked about, and in very broken Italian, so you know, it's like yeah. and, and English. And he said they have to struggle. It makes the grape rich. That they have to struggle because it makes the wine rich, and that's why the wine's rich. And I think of, I think of my kids, and I think of my life and I think of the richness that has come from Absolutely. struggle and Absolutely. not oppression, not marginalization, not right. slavery, not, not evil. Like, yeah. the, no, like, there's no, a there is, between, there's no need yes. to marginalize or oppre- right. like that's out, but I'm talking about practicing a sport, yeah. exercising to lose weight, right? Yeah. Struggling to learn a skill and falling flat on my face, six, seven, eight, ten, twenty 10, 20 times before I go, oh, I think I've got it. Yeah. And I and just are just not receiving everything you want e- exactly, in order to develop yes. character and e- exactly yeah. and and also learning an acceptance and a peace with what you have and a grace that comes with that absolutely and and I think that we have lost that we are so comfort oriented that again you get to the the stage where people are are very hurt by the world around them and there's truth to that but the hurt becomes the story and the hurt and then combined with this i can deconstruct but i can't reconstruct it's like i can break it down i can hurt but there's nothing more that i can do and it's like no we can struggle through we can reconstruct we can grow we can rebuild one of the things that one of the things that makes america's history unique and special is our ability to go oh crap We did a terrible job at that. What we did was wrong. We need to do better. Do you find that this psychological posture is more in uh, rooted in societies that are wealthy versus in you? Grew up in you. You lived in Japan Mm -hmm. for a significant amount. Yeah, and they're. I mean, they're first world nation. Right, but you have more international experience than I do. Mm -hmm. But what does it mean to be a wealthy nation and? your life is built on comfort versus other nations where it's like, well, of course we want comfort, but I know what it's like to struggle and struggle is not necessarily, um, uh, it's, it's not a traumatic, not traumatic. It's not a, um, uh, a fatal event. It's yes, not it's not fatal. Even, yeah. it, it builds character, it builds right? Character. Like that they, every athlete will tell you that the first time they pick, you know, it's like we talk to anyone in the NBA, the first yeah. time they picked up a, a basketball, right. they did not do as well as they are now. Right, right, right. right. And you know, it's interesting. I was talking to my students about this yesterday, that there is a unique paradigm in first world nations that I've seen of this, what we call the just world belief, mm-hmm. this causal belief that if you do good, you'll get rewarded. If you do bad, you'll get punished. Mm-hmm. So if things are bad, what'd you do? 
Yeah. Right. What did you mm-hmm. do to deserve this? Yeah, right. right. And if things are good, good on you. You obviously did something right. Right. And if you go to the rest of the world, right. that is yeah. no people don't say why me yeah. the same way we do in the rest of the world. They say this is what it is. What I'm what am I going to do about it? Yeah. Right. And so it's interesting because we do we have this artificial dichotomy. And by the way, the just world belief isn't true. We all know people who received good who didn't deserve it. And yeah. We all know people who received bad who didn't deserve it. Yeah. But it works really well in kindergarten when you're trying to get kids to behave a lot of the merit kind of like meritocracy began to marry a lot of our theology more recently because there are theologians who didn't even necessarily believe just because you live right the lord will bless you yes exactly yes absolutely famine comes yes it's not necessarily because we did anything wrong it's just look at jesus yeah exactly right like (laughs) things did not like i mean again like things ended well for him in the long but things did not end well for him on this time on earth right oh he suffered big oftentimes the bible for something he never did to do to deserve it right um i have two kids on autism spectrum Mm -hmm. and I consider that a form of suffering, but I don't think it's a bad thing. If no, that means no, there's but nothing like I'm not being punished. But you face challenges exactly. that other parents do not face. Not Absolutely. that all parents don't face challenges, exactly. but yes, the challenges and the 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 sleepless nights of worrying about your kids in a world yeah. when you are gone too. Absolutely. That 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 there's so much truth to that. Yeah. And so I think we have a generation, and I and and you know it's like Phillips and Bardo, who is the famous person who did the uh, Stanford Prison Experiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he he brought up uh, he he actually wrote a book called The Demise of Guys, and okay. he talked about how we we really we've we've as a culture we've not treated men well and we've we've crippled them in a lot of ways but he actually said during a ted talk he was like look my job is to comment on the problem it's your job to fix it right but it's like it's like here i am talking about the problem and i and i do believe that there are constructive fixes i do believe through practice we can learn to tolerate distress again and i do think that we can actually tolerate the discomfort of Mm -hmm. disagreement Mm. if if i were to say that there's anything that gen z could benefit from and that we could work toward as a culture it would be the ability to come together. Yeah. I call it like Google Maps, like zoom out one degree and yeah. you're going to find commonalities. But like, let us sit and talk and wrestle yeah. with each other in relationship. Jesus wrestled with people in relationship and we don't wrestle with each other in relationship anymore because we deconstruct. Yeah. Right. You said this, you're wrong, bad, done. I'm out. You're not my friend anymore. Yeah. And that doesn't work. Yeah. I think it was Jonathan Haidt that talked about it. And I think it was Righteous Minds. I can't remember the name of the book, but how it is very difficult to teach this generation yes because of the the coddling that has to take place yes and and and, and also the extremes like yeah. you know it it's like you get to a point and then you're yeah. off the cliff yeah. right like it's it's not like it's it's not a graded environment it's like you are either in it or you right. are off the cliff and now you're doing damage control so we're talking about this collective health you call it community health and so or it, it's called community health so People can obviously come to you for individual counseling, mm-hmm. um, but I want to ask you more about the community health aspect on the macro level. What are some things that you do or people within your field uh, do in order to address some of the macro issues within psychology in our society? Yeah, and I think this is. The APA would probably not agree with me. They think we're a little further along than we are, but we're still in our infancy of understanding community health from a true community empowerment model. Mm -hmm. Um, 
psychology is colonized. It is one of the most colonized professions. And I mean, again, it was it was white men transitioning philosophy into a science. And I don't discredit our forebearers and their efforts because I think they did beautiful things. But at the same time, psychology was kind of born as a profession of trying to distinguish itself as a science, but also the we are the experts Mm -hmm. and we are here to tell you how to be better. So people came to us as the experts. We told them how to be better and they went and did the things that we told them to do. That mentality is is long dead. That's not, and by the way, it's not effective either. Fun, fun fact, you can tell people to lose weight. It does not make them go do it, <laughs> right? Less than 50% of all prescriptions are ever picked up at the pharmacy, huh. right? So again, doctors can tell people to do things and it doesn't mean they're gonna do them, right? So you get to this point where, psychology has to dethrone itself as as a domain of expertise and has to reconceptualize itself as an empowerment of the expertise of the people and communities that we serve. People aren't coming to me to be an expert in their lives. Sometimes they are coming to me to ask me like, is this a problem? Is this normal? Is this crazy? Is something wrong? And I do, like, thankfully I do have the expertise to tell them, no, that's incredibly common. Like you're normal. And like, guess Uh what? I have a degree that tells me I can tell you you're normal. Right. Uh You know, so I'm not saying that I can't like diagnose autism or diagnose ADHD. Like I can talk about those things, but this historical mentality of psychology is going to pose itself as the hero and provide knowledge and education to the community and they will absorb it, take it, incorporate our cultural norms as their own and heal. It, it, it needs to go. So community Mm. health, it used to be that community health was community education, community expertise being perpetuated to the community. Now it's entering into the community. It's shared models of governance. It's coming as consultant, not expert. Mm. It's coming as a person at the round table to share a degree of knowledge with the people who have the knowledge already. So community health is communities growing and reestablishing cultural identity together. It's community healing based on their own cultural narrative and norms and what matters to them. And you look at this in like indigenous populations and communities of color, Mm -hmm. that we are there to help empower and foster access to resources and to be a consultant at the table of the collective knowledge of the group that we are working with to bring psychology to them as a resource, not to gift psychology as experts. And so you'll see that the models are now changing and psychologists Mm. are doing after hours and they're doing clinics and they're helping people get access to immigration attorneys and they're helping people fill out snap paperwork, you know, and Mm -hmm. they're helping them navigate systems and they're helping them to empower based on their own value systems. Mm. So I think community, community mental health has a long way to go. Because we're, in, especially in Oregon, we're still in the model of money dumped on counties to provide individual therapy. And that's not the way to go. So the money needs to go to the communities mm-hmm. to empower and restore deficits in the communities. Mm-hmm. And then models of mental health can integrate into that for the people who need individual therapy, for the people who may need a group modality or structure. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're working on it. Yeah. But it's not where it needs to be. We're still, our tendency is still to provide an expertise model and to disseminate information, but we need to join. That's what we need to do. And yeah. we're, we're getting better at it, but we have to break with our own individual American culture, rugged individualism, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that the individual is the focus of control and recognize that the individual in their layered ecological context has many needs yeah. and that we can, we can address all of them. 
Well, one of the things that I see as a great concern is we're tethered to these little devices. Yes. Constantly. Yes. We stare into them. We live through them. And we're just overstimulated, not only by these things, but we step outside. There's so much within um, our our spheres of influence that just keeps our, our, our attention. And you talk about eco-psychology. Mm-hmm. So how does your rootedness in nature help heal psychological wounds to remove us from all the amazing technological advances that we have? They're great. They make our lives much better. But however, there is something about nature, apparently, mm-hmm. that heals us. Can you talk to us about that? And so I, 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 I would be remiss if I didn't comment that there are people who have far more expertise than I. Mm-hmm. But in terms of my knowledge of this and plug shout out to my colleague, Amber Nelson, okay. Dr. Amber Nelson in our program. She's getting her certification. In oh, well, she's coming in right now. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so um, but the idea being that there is something about nature and, and, and uh, like if you think of a kingdom mentality, mm-hmm. I think that they tie into each other is that it who and what we are, like we're taught that we're the center of the universe. All right. And we are not. All right. And yeah. and that's okay. It's yeah. okay. Like, by the way, there's nothing, you know, it's like they, when we talk about in Christian faith, like the joy, the joy that comes from submission and the freedom that comes exactly. from submission and people yeah. look at you and go, what are you, <laughs> those two words do right. not match. Right. I think the Bible starts off with in the beginning. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and <me>. so, yeah. <laughs> and so this, this idea that like when you enter into nature, first of all, like, and I tell people whenever, Whenever people ask me about, especially like, you know, like seeking faith, right? Yeah. And um, and they say, you know, like, how do I make connection with God? And I'm like, God is not playing hide and seek. God does not play holy hide and seek. He right. plays always found, That's right? Cool. You know, he like, yeah, I know, he's always, always there. And so when you it. when you ask for God, ta-da, yeah. right? Like he's in, he, you're like, oh, you've been there the whole time, yeah. right? And so <laughs> this idea of when you enter into nature, the grass was there, like the grass was growing before I got here and the grass mm-hmm. will keep growing after I leave. Yeah. There are trees on this planet older than most of us, yep. right? And so this idea that the the kingdom was brought about and has existed outside of us. And we are, even though we are stewards of the kingdom, mm-hmm. we are not the agents of the kingdom's origin or its downfall, Yeah, right? The earth was here before, like... God made it first, yeah. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and it generally outlasts us. And so this idea of entering into nature and understanding your place and the connectivity of the world around you and your place in it and that there is freedom sometimes in the obscurity of it, right? It's like, I am not the agent of control. I am not supposed to solve all the problems of the world. I am not the, the be-all, end-all. I'm not the beginning and the end, mm-hmm. right? I am just a part of this big beautiful kingdom that the Lord created yeah. and my job in it, like I have worth in existence. Cause I say a lot like in, in, in the United States where we, we believe a lot about being uh human doings, but we really struggle with being human beings. Yeah. Right. And so this idea is like in nature, you can be a human being, you can be and your existence is good. He looked upon it and said that it was yeah, good. Man. Um, also nature. So I don't know if you know this about like tree systems, but I, I love this. So like, I don't know if you've ever heard that like fungi is like the vascular system of the planet, mm. but we do know that trees will communicate with other groups of trees Mm -hmm. through vast underground networks of fungus and root systems to warn them when blight is coming, to warn them when bugs are coming, to warn them when fires are happening, Mm -hmm. and and that the forest communicates with itself. So there is an interconnected sense of 
I am obligated to you and you are obligated to me. I, I have a, a wonderful Hispanic patient that I work with who talks about familia is I do for you, you do for me. Mm-hmm. And he says that that the universe and nature knows familia. Yeah. She knows that she is interconnected and that the good of all is the good of one mm. and the good of one is the good of all. And there's something that communicates to us so that that sense of I am a part of something bigger and the bigger is interconnected and cares about the whole. Yeah. is I think really valuable. And I think it, it models that kingdom mentality. That's excellent. What has fostering taught you about empathy and our relationship with a loving parent? Oh, yes. So all the things, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, and, and now actually the model is moving to, we're being called resource parents. Okay. So it's resource and adoptive families okay. and the resource and adoptive family training is raft, like floating down a river. I yeah, love it. Okay. I absolutely love it. But this idea, again, it goes back to, first of all, checking my own cultural norms and expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been very, very good. And recognizing too, that Again, my job, the the restorative nature of any anything is relationship. Relationship first. And Jesus knew this. Mm-hmm. It was relationship first. Jesus never banged down a door and said, You do exactly as I say, right? Yeah. He said he volunteered. He said, if you want, you can come and follow me. But he would sit with people and chat and have dinner with them, right? And he would be in community and he'd have conversations. So it was always relationship first. And I think many of these children are coming from extreme disruption, transition, not knowing where they are, where they've been, not having any of the developmental norms, right? Some of them, I have nine-year-olds who behave like they're in their 30s. And I've had teenagers who've behaved like they're very, very young, but they've never been taught. And my job is to enter into relationship in a restorative, stabilizing sense. My job is to say, like, I am here to ensure that you have food, shelter, clothing, access to education and safety. But furthermore, I will be stable when you are not. I will hold mm-hmm. when you feel that you're unraveling. Yeah. And it's 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 a it's a like I don't want to say it's a burden, like it's an obligation to be in my own healthiest space and to aspire to be a better parent. But there's something really profound about what these children have taught me about how to be a person and how to be a whole and complete person in the presence of their adaptive resilience to the environments that they've been in. And I I see it, you know, honestly, Gen Z feels like we have a saying in, in foster care, parentified children. So you'll have like the older children who learn to take care of the younger children in the absence of, of parents and they become parentified. They take on the role of parent before their time. Yeah. And Gen Z in some ways feels like a parentified generation. Mm-hmm. Students come in and they go, I don't need you. I already know what I'm doing. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'm here as an instructor and a faculty member to help cultivate your growth in this area. Yeah. But they're like, I don't need you. So I, because of my care in foster care, I can hold that and say, what did, how did we fail you as a society to get you to the point where you, you feel it's all on you? Yeah. And what can I do to cultivate trust in me to join with you in growth? And so I think that cultivation of trust is really, and the holding and the, it's not about me, it's about this person and it's about what they need has really done, a, gone a long way to shape me as a person. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I find that many pastors and churches um, do a lot of counseling. I, you know, the, the, the whole position of a, a pastor oftentimes is counseling people through difficult yes. life circumstances. Yeah. No, right? my, my pastor will tell you, yeah, absolutely. Have them on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> but however, m- many pastors don't 
aren't either qualified or they have no desire to actually pursue counseling degrees or have people who are clinical uh, professionals on staff or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Why is that? And what can churches do in order to integrate more of people like yourself into the ethos of the church? Yes. And I I think, you know, there, there is a historical dichotomy there is a historical opposition and antagonism that you will find if you read some of the writings, like some of the things Freud had to say about religion were not mm-hmm. kind. Mm-hmm. However, if you also look at the context of the time, because Freud, a lot of Freud's work was with uh, hysteria and neuroses mm-hmm. and and kind of in a lot of ways, like, again, Victorian white women who were very unhappy gotcha. and Back then, this, the the resolution of that was to put them in an asylum, give them like cold water therapy or cut out their uteruses, mm-hmm. right? Like it was the, 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 the concept of how we treated people was not good. But he would see like people trying to adhere to religion and religious asylums in the past, the concepts of demon possession, telling people you're not trying hard enough, you're not praying hard enough. This is not new. Mm-hmm. And so psychology in some ways framed itself as a profession of countering the damage done to people's psyches by religion, assuming that it was their failing, assuming mm. that pathology was was they were wrong people, they were born wrong, they were from wrong families, or they were demon-possessed. And so in some ways, psychology poised itself in the beginning as a savior from some of the damaging actions of religion. So there's a piece of history there. Um, They aren't willing to acknowledge that the Catholic Church started social services, and a lot of what we know of hospitals and our current mental health systems were were grown Mm -hmm. by the church, and Quakers reformed the prison system. We're we're not willing to acknowledge that. So like there's, you know, it's like, hey, both of us need to be at the table together. But I do feel in my experience of kind of some of the antagonism between faith and psychology has been the idea that that psychology believes in kind of the ultimate role of the individual and faith believes that the individual is obligated to something greater than themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that the two of them have felt that that's fundamentally incompatible. That 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 faith talks about, again, it talks about a, a servant's heart and kind of a willingness to forfeit aspects of yourself to the greater whole in, in, in ways of salvation, right? Is to like, to, to fundamentally admit, like, I am, I am a broken person. I do do terrible things. Right. I have terrible thoughts and yet I am redeemed and I am good and, and I am made in the image of God and I have, and there is and grace yet. for me. Amen. And, and psychology might say, you don't like, no, you are not fundamentally broken. Like you don't need to be made in the image of anything else. You're good and whole and complete and in and of yourself. And historically the two of them have felt like that's an opposing characteristic. And I don't necessarily think like, no, we are made in the image of God. Like what is my, a friend of mine from Texas literally said, God don't make no junk. (laughs) Right. And it's like one of my favorite quotes, right? right? God don't make no junk. Right. Right. And so it's like, like, I don't think that, but again, they, they continue to frame and see themselves as fundamentally incompatible. And there are times when I felt like pastors have really felt like psychology, it 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 exonerate like it 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 highlights the value of the flesh and rugged individualism and being your own person, and yet being in relationship with Jesus is a form of humility. That that yeah. psychology does not highlight the humility of faith, and that they're incompatible. And the beauty of our program is our our doctoral program at George Fox is one of spiritual and faith based integration, mm-hmm. and we believe wholeheartedly that psychology is intimately rooted um, well in faith, and they integrate so beautifully and well. They're like Oreos and milk. It's great. The both yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> like we, we're like, no, you're wrong. This is great. We can do this great. Come show. Like we'll show you. Um, <laughs> 
And so, um, but I do think that they have historical context and I don't think they're fundamentally incompatible, but I think the narrative has been that they're incompatible. And I think, you know, for pastors, I don't envy, like, you know, it's, you know, uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Talladega Nights, but what? Uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's like, he's like, don't you put that evil on me, don't Ricky, Bottle, Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby. It's like anytime Bobby. people are like, you know, pastor, I'm like, don't you put that evil on, like mm, to be a pastor. <laughs> like, ooh, I will take being a psychologist at a psychiatric inpatient unit. Okay, yeah, I will yeah, take yeah. being a foster parent over being, you know. But it's this right. idea of because again, you are you are the you are the person people go to yeah. in their most dire moments, and you are far more accessible than we are. We have office hours, yeah. <laughs> pastors don't. Yeah. But I do think of the pastors I know who have aspired and tried and, and tried to integrate that they're willing to have those conversations yeah. and they're willing not to see psychology as an opponent, but to see psychology as an extension of Jesus's healing on the earth and an extension of relationship. But I, again, going back to that, we need to be able to sit and have conversations mm -hmm. and religion needs to acknowledge the damage that has been done by toxic manifestations of religion. Absolutely. And psychology needs to acknowledge the damage that has been done by dichotomous and antagonistic viewpoints. Mm -hmm. And neither of them are willing to admit at this point in time. I mm. think I hope they get there. Amen. I hope they get there. Well, speaking of getting there, we're about to get to know you okay. a little bit more <laughs> intimately. Okay. With these kind of rapid questions. Okay. All right. All right. Semi rapid. Okay. All right. I'm ready. So um you are locked away for uh, we're not in prison okay. because the Quakers have reformed it. So therefore <laughs> you are now, but you're just in, you're in, oh, you're in nature. Okay. All right. You are. I'm out in the woods. You're out in Yellowstone. Yeah. You're just. Oh, cool. Yeah. Just perusing, just talking to the trees, but you're by yourself mm -hmm. and you have one book that you can read during that period of time. What book is this? Oh. Oh, I did not see that twist coming. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Oh, that's hard. <laughs> like, I'm supposed to say the Bible, but I'm not going to say the Bible, just so you know. Like, I know, I know, everyone, I can acknowledge that I'm no, supposed to say the No, because the word is in your heart. So yeah, you don't I need thank you. Yeah, I appreciate yeah, that. The word is everywhere, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I can, I mean, I, I have, yeah. 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 Um, so going through, like, there's fiction, you know, the, the book that has really, and I've, I've read it again and again. It's one of those books that speaks to your heart a different way every time is there's a book called The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. Okay. And he is a psychiatrist who actually came to the faith later. So as opposed to like, you know, like he, you know, starting in the faith and entering yeah. into psychology, he started in psychiatry and entered into the faith. But he talks about the road less traveled and and in kind of it's it's a model of integration of how do you take the concepts of healing and wellness and love and fidelity and all of those things yeah. and how do you do them well from a psychologically healthy standpoint while also incorporating the humility of being a Christ follower. Yeah. And that was and and again and but in in a way that like literally anybody could read this book and find fruit from it. Amen. Yeah. And so that and that book I'm just thinking like no if I were in the woods right now and reading that like I'd be really really happy because it would be shaping me and I'd be growing and I'd be challenged. Well, while you're in the woods, uh -huh. um, you have access to DoorDash or <laughs> All right. Or okay. Uber Eats. Yeah. But yeah. the problem is, is they can only deliver one meal to you. It's oh. over and over and over again. Oh, what no. Is that? What oh. is that one thing? Okay, but meal? I don't have to worry about any nutritional deficits no. or malnutrition. I mean, right? you know, like, we've had some terrible answers. So yeah. Just, okay. All right. Mm. I'm pretty sure you'll mm. be better than those. Because like, there's a part of me that's like, well, then I had to, I'd have to order something balanced that could sustain me. But I'm going to pretend that the Lord will sustain yeah, me fully Lord, and yeah, that there's yeah, no yeah. nutritional and need you can for eat this. Some leaves and so like plants I'm going to go for like fluffy IHOP pancakes 
Like, yeah. Like fluffy, I have pancakes okay. with butter and syrup. Okay. okay. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. That, <laughs> that's what I'm going to go for. Bread on bread on yeah, bread. Yeah, bread on bread on bread. Bread. Okay. Wait, well, no. Carbs and fat and sugar. Okay. All like right. carbs, carbs Good and stuff. fat. Yeah. Hey, no, like I'm if, not if, too mad at that if, if you want like that, that's comfort food right there okay. for me. Like big old. And by the way, like not a common thing in Japan. So like yeah. when I discovered like big fluffy, I have pancakes in the US. I'm like, I'm doing this. Gotcha. This is my, this is my reward food. I hop at it. Yeah. it just specifically, I, well, it, it doesn't have to be IHOP, but they have really good pancakes. I hear you. Like I'm, I'm cool with IHOP pancakes. We're, we're going to drop. So as you are eating your pancakes, uh-huh. um, we're going to fly a, a helicopter over the woods and drop an an, uh, an old iPod. Okay. But it only has one song. Oh no. Uh, no, we'll give you an album. It okay. has one album <sighs> on it, and so this is the only song while you're reading. The road less traveled, eating your pancakes. Oh, what are we listening to? What are we listening to? What's the to? soundtrack of us gaining so much weight? You know, this of time? <laughs> thank you, thank you for that acknowledgement. You know, I'm walking in the woods, man. I'm burning it off. Okay? Oh, that's right. Yeah, you that. are. You may be climbing some redwoods. So yeah, you good. You're, you're um, good. Let's see. I would go with uh, James Taylor's greatest hits. Oh, yeah. Okay. Singer songwriter. Absolutely <laughs> love it. No, my mom and dad huge fans of James Taylor, and if I listen to James Taylor, I think of. My childhood, I think of road trips. I think of my dad. My dad passed several years ago. Oh, um, I think of my mom. So like, it's just like a kind of a narrative story of my life with all the good memories would be James Taylor's greatest hits. Excellent. Yeah. So as you're climbing these redwoods, you mm-hmm. it's amazing because you get to see over the whole of the national forest. Uh-huh. But in the distance, you get to see like a drive-in theater. Uh-huh. And But the problem is there's only one movie oh, that's showing. Man. Night after night after night. So on the branches of this, this. (laughs) what film are they showing at this drive-in theater? All right, this is like a favorite film. Something I could watch over and over and over again. It's going to be Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. All right, one of the best movies ever made. All right, there's good stuff right there. There you go. It's a good one. Oh, so good, (laughs) man. Somebody asked me actually at a like retreat recently, like if you could rewatch any movie for the first time. I'm like, oh yeah, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. All right. So what's a healthcare? Uh, I'm sorry, not healthcare. What is a self-care practice that you, 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 you've had to kind of give up everything else, but this is the one self-care practice that you can continue to repeat over oh, and over that's again. easy so literally I, I i bought my house many years ago when houses were way more affordable mm-hmm. um but it has a soaking tub mm. and an epsom salt soak right a bubble bath with epsom salts man i could do that every day there you go yeah oh man that is i literally i have a, a subscribe and save repeat delivery of 19 pounds of epsom salts to my house okay <laughs> like this is like i am keeping the epsom salt single-handedly in business there you okay go. they're gonna they're gonna like make a monument to me yeah <laughs> so george fox family and friends what i heard is be the salt of the earth <laughs> talk to the to, to the plants and the trees uh-huh. because uh-huh. we got to be involved in nature george washington carver actually spoke to plants and oh. said that he actually talk to the plants he said it gives up its secrets when you talk to oh, it oh very nice and uh it seems like dr carolyn ellis is doing the same ladies and gentlemen give it up for dr carolyn ellis This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode.